Namaste. So we are delving into Shurbindo's life through his poems. And we have thus far covered two major transitions. One is when Shurbindo is in England. Of course, he is born in India, Kolkata, then goes to England. And then there is the development of all these faculties, capacities, the poet. One can see the poet already blossoming. One can see the thinker, the philosopher with a different turn of mind and even the revolutionary and touches of the yogi. At 18, he had the experience of the self in the mind while reading one of those uh, not so good translations of Isha Upanishad. So all these things we see in the form of a bud. And then the next period is... Next transition is 1893 to 1910, wherein we see Shurbindo enters the revolutionary movement, right? In fact, even before he comes to India. And then it grows, develops, there is a preparation, there is an active participation. And then during this second phase, we see the third is beginning to emerge. That is the, the spiritual um, consciousness, the consciousness beyond the mind. So that begins to emerge and begins to take precedence. So, and as it begins to take precedence, we see experiences after experiences flowing into his ken, which are beyond, uh, you know, human words to describe. But fortunately for us, Shubhendra has described them. One is in Savitri and second is collected poem. So that's why we are using it as a base. And then by the time it's 1999 to 1910, these experiences are mounted up. And I am reminded of a line from Savitri. He mounted burning like a cone of fire. And in a retreat from mortal thought, silence was his sole companion left. So 1910, he moves to Pondicherry at the behest of an inner Adesh. One may wonder that what is really left to do after all that uh, he has achieved. I mean, there is the of course nirvanic silence, stillness. There is also the experience of the one divine everywhere. All that he has already arrived at. There is the experience of Vasudevam Sarvamiti and many other experiences which we have spoken about. Realizations. And then in Chandanagar where he begins to see the form of the gods. He is ascending beyond the mind. And he starts communicating with the gods in a language which he is at that point of time not aware it's not obviously not Sanskrit because Shubhendu by then was such an expert. He, had, he was writing in Bengali and Sanskrit, some kind of sign language. He says that to Mutilal Roy, they are communicating to me um, through signs. And then Mutilal Roy asked, what, what are they communicating? He, he said, that's what I'm trying to figure out. So what that language is, what those signs, symbols are, he has not told us, but eventually we see them uh, in the course of his writings in different places. Then there is a period from 1910 to 1914 where we see Shurabindo as a waiting upon the will of God. He has arrived at what is the last summit of realizations up till now, whatever in traditional yoga. And this too is very rare. As the Gita says, uh, to see the one divine everywhere, Vasudevam Sarvamiti, the rarest of rare. Out of uh, thousands, one strives and out of thousands, one arrives at this point. <laughs> so he has already arrived where rarest of rare have reached. So what else is left? 
there is something which um, he is carrying in his heart, burning heart. That what is there beyond? There is something very beautiful about Sri Aurobindo that he doesn't stop. So what is really the quest? His quest has started with freedom of India, and then it changes into freedom from ignorance for the whole creation for mankind, and then it changes into what next? What's higher? What is the higher will of God? What is the plan? What is the purpose? So that we see during 1910 to 1913, there are a series of writing. There is, for instance, Thoughts and Aphorism. There is Yogic Sadhan. There is Sri Aurobindo Upanishad and Tantric Siddhi Prakranam, where he is feeling his way. And during that period, he gets the ten limbs of the yoga, which uh, begin around that period. And from 1909, Sri Aurobindo had started writing a little diary of yoga, records of yoga. And after 1912, the entries are more and more frequent. So this diary was, of course, meant for his private use. It was not meant for public um, reading because uh, much of it is notations, actually. And even if we mentally understand, uh, you know, what would we really understand? Whatever is needed for us, he has given in the books the path that we have to follow. But we can say that there is a period from 1910 to 1914 where Shirobindo is having a very new kind of experiences which have not been known in the traditional yogas. At the same time, he is feeling the way beyond. So here, because he is now entering a territory where nobody has entered. That poem, The Infinite Adventure, where he speaks about that my boat is launched on a rudderless, you know, in the vast ocean of the infinite, where is it going to really take me? Uh, there is a poem like that, The Infinite Adventure. During this phase, he also writes, Who, Invitation, Baji Prabhu, which are all, you know, deeply inspiring poems. And one of them is The Infinite Adventure. Some people have quoted this poem as if for Savitri. Yes, it can apply, but it equally applies to the journey that Shubhinder is undertaking from Kolkata or Chandanagar to, or rather Kolkata to Pondicherry, where he is launching himself into an adventure, a path which nobody has trod. One doesn't know what that path is. He has to find the path, which is very different. Another place he says that, you know, for pathfinders like me and the mother, we have to take on the burden much greater than what has ever been taken. So, he says that because it's entirely new, we had to try different methods, different ways before we could really arrive at this whole thing and we could tell you that, well, this is the path that you want to follow. So he was trying different methods, different ways because something entirely new territory, what's going to come out of it. And some of these things are documented in these poems. Once again, these poems are not um, like 1912 he wrote this so it refers to a 1912 experience because many poems he has written later on but nevertheless uh, they refer to experiences which are earlier for instance in one of the poems meditations of mandavya shurbindo speaks about meditations of mandavya about the scorpion sting he says he stung himself with bliss or that, you know, scorpion sting where he is overcome with great joy. Now, this Meditations of Mandavya, this poem, actually is written in 1912, but he is describing an experience which is while he is in Kolkata. So, there are many experiences like that which um, uh, have been written later on, but they have taken place during that time. So, one of the things that is taking place is ascent and ascent. Now, his consciousness is free from the trappings of matter. 
So while for us ascent is normally within a limit, within the limit that the bodily frame allows. Because the bodily frame doesn't allow. See, many people out did Sri to know all these frames, planes of reference, you know, consciousness. And we speak about them. This plane is this, this plane is that. But uh, frankly, as long as the consciousness is tied to the body, subjected to the body, all our understanding will be a reflected understanding. But with Sri Aurobindo and the mother of course, the consciousness is freed from the clutch of body. It just remains sort of tied with a little string, deliberately. And they, he comes out. It's literally, people ask that, was it while within the body? No, he could come out of the body and explore these planes. So, originally that's what the ascent is. But we experience it more subjectively, psychologically, when we see a little change of consciousness. But for them, because they are the explorers on the path, this ascent is when the consciousness is freed entirely from subjection to the body. And it is now free to come out of the body and explore the other realms. So one of the poems we'll read is Ascent. He had experienced silence. Silence is ultimate. And in one of his poems he says, Silence is all say the sages. So if you arrive at silence, it is nirvana, mukti. It is laya. It is nothingness. So what do you do after that? Is there anything beyond? So Shubindo takes up this question, the silence, into the silence, into the silence, arise, O spirit immortal, away from the turning wheel, breaking the magical circle. So he is freed from the clutch of nature. Nothing in him can be held back. This is the magic circle. We are. There is a fence which is woven around us. And what is this fence? This fence is what keeps us tied within those limits. It is ignorance. And this Fence is very interesting. If you go up, you will see a beautiful ceiling and you are so mesmerized, it's so wonderful. Satik fence. So it's like, you know, gold, goldish color and brilliant. And yes, you have a feeling that I am already a very good person. Wonderful human being. There is nothing more to be achieved. And below is gold dome on a black base, which that black base is tamas. So you fall back into that. So within this circle, we keep moving. One moment we are in tamas, then by the impulsion of nature we are projected into rajas and then we again go to sattva and then we come back. So this is how the whole process goes on. And then when we break free from the magic circle of nature, then there is silence. So he has already broken free into the silence, but he doesn't want to stop, he wants to go further. So he says... Away from the turning wheel, the wheel of nature, Yantra, Rudini, Maya, which the Gita puts it, breaking the magical circle. One doesn't, at the level of sattva, it's so difficult to break free that all ultimately is the will of God. See, Ramakrishna would put it like this it's easy to break the iron bonds of, uh, you know, tamas because you feel them like chains and the rajasic bonds because you know they are glittering but they are not of value. But he says the Satvic bonds are like gold bangles. Even when you know you have to break it, you find it very difficult to break it. Though they are the easiest to break. Gold, you can just, you know, and the more purer they become, the more malleable they are. Actually, it can be broken. But it's the most difficult to break. This last surrender mother speaks about is the surrender of responsibility. And beyond it, you have all these doubts, no, can I really, should I... Will I lose my head? So all these fears, they all hold us back. So away from the turning wheel, breaking the magic circle, 
ascend single and deathless. O soul, no companion in the eternal life. O soul, thou standest at the eternal doors. Alone thou standest at the eternal doors. There is no companion in the light. He reaches that point, single and deathless. Care no more for the whispers and shoutings in the darkness. So he is coming out of all that zone where uh, all the, the there must have been a lot of pressure. Even when he comes to Pondicherry, so many people, the Congress people, they were all calling him. This is a very interesting letter. John Baptista, who is writing that time, President of the Congress, please come back. There are temptations given that, you know, why don't you go to Algeria and we'll give you a land. All these shoutings, noises, people are chasing him. The British government for its own reasons, the Indian revolutionary moment for their own reason and all his, of course, loved ones. But he goes beyond and says, care no more for the whispers and the shoutings in the darkness, ignorance. Pass from the sphere of the grey and the little, leaving the cry and the struggle into the silence forever. It's not easy because one feels that one is escaping. Very often people... Uh, say that, well, Shri Yoga is about transformation, it's not about escape. So, ignorantly, I should continue in life as it is. That's not what Shri says. First step is to come out of that zone. That's how in Savitri, the mother says, when gods are com- coming and rushing to help the world, at that point of time, she sees that she is inclined to go with it. So, she asks the gods. She gets that impression, uh, urge that no, only they who save themselves can others save while they are rushing outside. So she asked them, oh happy luminous company of the gods, tell me where I can find my soul. And then one of them points the pathway and says, winding through the world's highways, there is a fire burning on the bare stone. You go there, trod by rare wounded pilgrim feet. That's the only sign. There is a fire and there are wounded pilgrim feet. Nobody can reach there. Just like, okay, there is no kandi there to carry you. Wounded pilgrim feet. And then you reach and then you cross that fire, then everything magically heals. But that fire is there through which one has to pass and the wounds when you go through rugged stones. Leaving the cry and the struggle into the silence forever. This is the act which is important. It cannot be that I will continue in ignorance by the way of the ignorance and say all life is yoga. Shubhinda wants us to be activists. and <laughs> These are temptations through which we remain tight forever. Vast and immobile, formless and marvelous, higher than heaven, wider than the universe. In a pure glory of being, what that state is, Vishrup, he is expanded into the universe. Formless, higher than the heavens, wider than the universe. And this is not only material universe, it is all the universes. In a bright stillness of self-seeing, what is remaining there is the vast eye in the solitude, the vast eye which is burning in the splendor of the sky. Everywhere that gaze, there is another kind of seeing. Communing with a boundlessness, voiceless and intimate. So he reads that measureless state in which he is communing with the boundlessness. Make thy knowledge too high for thought. Thy joy too deep for emotion. So people would see Shurabindo and you know they had this impression. Dilip Kumar I once, oh sir with your Himalayan silence. He says what rubbish. It is uh, Nevinson who made me look like a man who doesn't smile, but it's not true. 
the joy that he is carrying within his heart. And thanks to Niruddha, that entire joy came out. Also in some of the letters of Dilip Kumar Roy. But the joy is too deep for emotion. Our joys are immediately spilt. That's why when mother was asked, mother several times you see when you read her conversation, you will, uh, one of the most beautiful things is where it says laughter. See, notice in the book, she says a sentence and suddenly in bracket laughter. Pause into that laughter and dwell into that laughter. What is she really laughing about? It's very interesting study. Some places there is silence. It's very fascinating to dip into that silence, to dip into that laughter. So there is that joy, but it is not a surface joy. When mother was asked about the emotions, she says, you think that singing and dancing, all this is a sign of uh, bhakti? She says, no. You should be able to contain. And that's what we see in Shurabindo. Make thy knowledge too high for thought. So thought cannot reach there. What thought can do? It can try to, from here it sees that and tries to make a mishmash, a khichri. Thought has to ascend to that point. And when it ascends to that point, it changes into sight. So thought must change into revelation, into intuition. But from here where we stand, it's not possible. So Sri came down. How far did he come down? At one point when Sri was asked, that uh, why don't you revise the synthesis of yoga? Shrivinda says, You want me to come down again at that level? Come down? I have brought it down to the higher mind, all that knowledge. Make some effort to ascend. Just imagine that. He, it was like a coming down. So that means before he started the synthesis, already his consciousness was ascending, and that point is where he writes thoughts and aphorisms. From 1912 onwards, we see thoughts and aphorisms. And the mother says that is the point where he was entering from the mind into the supermind. That's the point where he's piercing. And you will see thoughts and aphorisms are a unique style of writing. Suddenly as if he turns the mind topsy-turvy. Take for instance, if you cannot be Rama, be Ravana. What is he saying? He says you give the clasp to God, hold him somehow. Any which way. He is not asking us to become like Ravana. So if we apply the mental understanding, we will be totally. Another place he says that some say Rama killed Wali and you know, it was this or that. He says, but this we know that he acted divinely. <laughs> it's amazing. Vedanta, the lamp of Vedanta is useful in ignorance. But he who has seen Krishna... He needs nothing. He discards them. So these aphorisms are so amazing that, you know, the pelting of stones, all these are his own experiences. The pelting of stones for the God lover are like flowers. Another place he says, when I became a woman, a woman is lord of us, naked and fear. Then I understood something about God. So that is the time when he is entering into, from the mind into the super mind. All at rest in the unchanging light, Mute with the wordless self-vision. He was hardly communicating. As Shubhindu was generally reticent, what we have heard. But uh, he was hardly communicating. But he was seeing. Seeing much more than what we can even imagine. Spirit, pass out of thyself. Soul, escape from the clutch of nature. What was he seeing? We have these experiences of Amrita. Some of those early ones around 1913, Amrita's experiences are, he has you know, written very beautiful old long since 
where we see how at 1913 a young boy of 15 is coming and is talking to Shirbindo. How were these boys, as the mother described, when she came, they were having a lasses fair. They, they thought Shirbindo, you know, he is sitting in meditation. And so they were uh, happy going to the town, playing football, coming back, cooking a meal, enjoying, sometimes getting fish. <laughs> so, and all this is going on. And Shirobindo is in his what he was doing. None of them could know. None of them could understand. They knew that something is happening. The closest experience that is described is by Amrita, where he says that first time he wanted to meet Shirobindo. So, I think it is Vara or one of them. He says, "Okay, I am going um, to give tiffin to him. Will you come along?" So he says, "Okay." So he, you know, they knock. And Shirobindo comes and just turns away and goes. He sees Shirobindo's back with the hairs flowing. He is stupefied by the vision. And then first time when he sees Shirobindo during his birthday celebration, 1913, he looks at each of these, you know, uh, spread out um, mats, patal, in that uh, you have rice and he would concentrate. And then when he goes to Shirobindo, he looks at them and like two lamps of light were burning in darkness, dispelling all ignorance. And he is mesmerized, he cannot move further. Then he says with a gentle, uh, you know, touch of his eyes or blinking of his eyes or gesture of his eyes, uh, he seemed to have, you know, communicated that yes, you can pass. And then <laughs> Subramanam Bharti, all these people are there and they, they lead him through. He says Ki, that my whole life changed and he had his vision as a child. He found the culmination of that vision on that day. So that was his state during that period. At rest in the unchanging light, mute with the wordless self-vision, spirit pass out of thyself, soul escape from the clutch of nature. All thou hast seen cast from thee, O witness. Entire field of nature he is clearing because he is to bring in something new. Turn to the alone and the absolute. Turn to the eternal. This is so powerful even for all of us. Even without arriving at that silence. Turn to that alone. Turn to the alone and the absolute. Turn to the eternal. Be only eternity. Peace and silence. O world transcending nameless oneness. Spirit immortal. All that he has realized. But he must go beyond. Beyond the silence, out from the silence, out from the silence, carrying with thee the ineffable substance. What is he going into? What is that ineffable substance? You see, Panchitattva we hear about, but what is that original substance out of which the different formulations have come, which constitute the mortal body and thereby, you know, mechanisms of nature in which we are caught? There has to be an original substance. So he's speaking about the ineffable substance. Carrying with thee the splendor and the wideness. Because when the experience is of cosmic vastness, even the body of God, it is made of a substance. And his body is not made of panchatattvas. Panchatattvas is our body. But when you have a God vision, it is not panchatattva. It is the one original substance. And that original substance, ascend, O spirit immortal, assigning to time its endless meaning, blissful enter into the clasp of the timeless. I'm just skipping few lines. Vast, God-possessing, embraced by the wonderful. 
lifted by the all beautiful into his infinite beauty he later describes it in one of the aphorisms and also in some of his letters which krishna i should you know contest with and then he says he who, who was my guide and guru he who came to me in the uh, alipur jail he with whom i had complete identity and he in whose arms i spent days after days in that state of ananda joy love shall envelop the endless and fathomless joy unimaginable ecstasy illimitable knowledge omnipotent might omniscient look at the play knowledge omnipotent might omniscient light without darkness truth that is dateless one with the transcendent calm universal single and free yet innumerably living all in thyself and thyself in all dwelling act in the world with thy being beyond it what a marvelous experience how inspiring this is that simultaneously this this is supramental experience where he is experiencing himself one and the many together it's no more krishna is seeing everywhere it is he is seeing himself in everyone there is another poem which describes this that wherever i see i see my own face my own form So now it is an experience of the supramental where he is seeing at the same time one and the many and rise with the world in thy bosom this is another because he is carrying within his heart the pain of the world the anguish of the world that's what we see in savitri standing on the doors of the divine mother unknowable the mother tells him that no soul is thy companion in the light and says that there is nobody who is seeking this what you have come to seek human beings don't want it but he is carrying within his heart the world rise with the world in thy bosom o word gathered into the heart of the ineffable one with the eternal live in his infinity drowned in the absolute found in the godhead swan of the supreme and spaceless ether wandering wing through the universe spirit immortal what in like breaking all barriers boundaries not just of the human limits of the human mind but beyond the different levels of the mind and then when he reaches that point there is the descent which is another experience which we see in shrivada this is this brings the newness of the yoga and we see in savitri the same experience is described in book 1 canto 5 as thus it rolls to meet him bare and pure a vast descent leaned down a vast descent came down and then he describes uh, so beautifully a sweetness dire a violent ecstasy a sweetness dire <laughs> so that starts coming down and completely his all his nature undergoes a boneless change that's when the beginnings of a new yoga for mankind that's when the foundation is kept because ascent or entering into the ineffable silence transcendent nirvana even seeing the divine everywhere these experiences time to time mystics had but the experience of descent this something new that's why when somebody asked raman maharishi that shubhendra speaks about descent so what is it about so obviously raman maharishi didn't have that experience so he says that uh, what descent um, god is everywhere so what is there for him to descend and descend from where this matter was thrust to chirvindo there were some some of these people dilip kumar roy that sir this is what i wrote to him this is the message i got so now i am writing to you what is your reply 
So he says, yes, the divine is one and everywhere, but he has many levels and planes of his self-manifestation. This is the original Upanishadik Yoga. At many levels and planes. So at different levels he reveals himself differently. So descent from where? From those reaches to which up till now uh, they were inaccessible to man. Or now this is descent. What happens? What was he experiencing? These are um, experiences described in uh, record of yoga. Including the experience of ecstasy and ananda in the very cells of the body. Even in uh, book 3, Canto 4, he describes that. That the cells are swept with that ecstasy. Not just an inner ananda. All my cells thrill, swept by a surge of splendor. Soul and body stir with the mighty rapture. And in that ananda they fuse. Or rather they fuse and that ananda is there. This is what he describes in the record of yoga. Is Maithun ananda. But this maithun is the union of soul and nature. Complete fusion of the soul with nature. And that creates the, the ananda. Light and still more light, like an ocean billows over me, round me. This is the experience we should have on the holy day. <laughs> light, endless light, an ocean of light have I become. This is what we should aspire for. Maybe one of the Diwalis or before that, who knows. One day we will have this experience of light all around, surging in light. Rigid, stone-like, fixed like a hill or statue. Vast my body feels and bears the world's weight. So this is the, what people used to see outwardly. He is in meditation. He would walk and meditate. He would sit and meditate. But what was he doing in that meditation? It was not like have a course on meditation and meditate and have nirvana. It is something way beyond all that. This meditation was natural because this such a vast consciousness, the body just can't bear it. A consciousness that has never been upon earth. How he must have borne it is itself something beyond comprehension. Whilst my body feels and bears the world's weight, dire the large descent of the Godhead enters limbs that are mortal. They are not meant to bear it. That's why Shubhinda says in 1914 that when mother came, he says that before the mother's coming, I could help myself but could not help others because... How to prepare the body? He is receiving it. And he is able to because it's a whole spiritual process through which he has been prepared. But mankind, will it ever bear that descent? It will break down under the weight of the infinite. So limbs that are mortal are bearing the ecstasy of the eternal and the true. Swiftly, swiftly crossing the golden spaces. So we can see now he is living in the effulgence of the supramental experience. This took long in 1920. This had started in 1910-11. In 1920, Shubindo writes a letter to Barinda. He says, after 10 years, which means 1920 means 1910 onwards, I am beginning to rise in the first level. The lowest levels of the supermind. But that means he has crossed the border barrier. He is able to dwell there. Nobody could ever enter there. That's why in 1926 when he is asked uh, that you know uh, there is this uh, Bama Kepa. He saw you entering through the golden gates of the sun. Then he could smile and say yes he saw me enter. He didn't see me come back. Nobody goes and returns from there. So this is the... Golden spaces, knowledge leaps, a torrent of rapid lightnings. Intuitions are crowding around, 
Thoughts that left the ineffables flaming mansions blaze in my spirit. And he had to express it. So at one place he has uh, uh, spoken about his writings in the Arya. He said there was all this knowledge was pouring in. I had to release it. I had to throw it out because it's crowding inside. Lightnings after lightnings, illuminations, insights are left behind. Intuitions crowding into his mind's room. Wide orchestral mind. Slow the heart beats rhythm like a giant hammers. So on one side, it's um, the heartbeat becomes slow. On the other side, it is like a giant's big pulsation. This is the experience mother describes in the body in 1962, where she experiences giant pulsations of the heart, circling all around, giant hammer beats, but slow. In her case, it stopped. The heart actually stopped. Because, you know, it, it's, uh, the heart cannot bear that. Missioned voices drive to me from God's doorway. This doorway is the overmind into the supermind. Words that live not save upon nature's summits, ecstasy's chariots. He has reached the ultimate limit to which word and speech can climb. All the world is changed to a single oneness. Souls undying. Infinite forces meeting, join in God dance, weaving a seamless nature. There is no conflict, disorder, nothing. Seamless nature, all flowing smoothly, rhythm of the deathless. So the dance of Krishna and Radha. He has just come from the Krishna and Kali dance. Revolutionary period and it's still going to continue. <laughs> but the Krishna and Radha, the dance ecstasy of Vrindavan. Mind and heart and body, one half of being, all has come in perfect harmony. Cry that anthem, finding the notes eternal, light and might and bliss and immortal wisdom, clasping forever. And this knowledge was so tremendous. Um, you know, we have these, now how many volumes, 35, 36, whatever. maybe there are more letters, a lot of people have not given but even if we take 36 volumes and the Arya, entire Arya during that period, and Shubhinda, yo, you have written so much. He said, no, this is just 10% of what I have inside. Why don't you write? He said, let humanity reach here. Reach is much later, read. He said, reach, it should be R-E-A-D. It's again and again, I must say, it is the most biggest pity that I feel. Pity. That he has left him, not wealth is to, you know, diamonds for human beings to, you know, it's enough to carry us for thousand years through the evolutionary journey. But we want to read it in the thousandth year, when probably, you know, they would already, people who have gone, at least something, some connect. We are just keeping it, you know, postponing it. But he gave it then in 1914. All this is there in, in his uh, poems and he is waiting upon what next. So he knows this is the finished line of the world's evolution. But something has to happen beyond it. That we see in O Will of God. It's again written in 1912 or 13. I, Mark whom the world's release, already had this experience of immortality. So when people say 5th December, he is no more. It's the most foolish statement. It betrays our lack of mystic knowledge. So, mother says one place, she says, you know, 
my child we had realized the consciousness of immortality long back it was very easy for us to enter into our immortal body and merge into each other it was as simple as that so immortality the consciousness of immortality is i markande we know markande is one of the five immortals who are released from the uh, bondage and we know his special uh, mention of markande because he is the one who first uh, revealed the story of savitri in to the pandavas when yudhishthir asked him that tell me anyone you know who has suffered like draupadi and then he reveals the story of savitri so i markande we don't know maybe shubindu in one of his lives like meditations of mandavya but we don't know there'll be a kind of conjecture but nevertheless i markande whom the world's release the seer but it is god alone that sees he has already become one with that vision soar up above the bonds that hold below man to his littleness lost in the show perennial which the senses round him build i find them out and am no more beguiled so he could see through the entire net of forces which are built around man to hold his ankles why ankles ankle is an old story head <laughs> so all these hold him back and he is unable to free himself and then toward the end of this poem o will of god he says once i will speak and what i see declare he says that once i'll speak 1914 to 1920 he has spoken everything after that once i will speak and what i see declare the rest is god there is silence everywhere my eyes within were opened and i saw so what was he trying there this he he knew now that there is a greater truth which is coming down because he was experiencing it himself but he wanted it for mankind because he was carrying the burden of the world within his heart that's what we have seen as a cosmic man cosmic consciousness and even in his poems all the while we see ashpati i mean shurbindo doesn't abandon the world he is reaching there with the world and he wants that descent but he sees the difficulty that mankind is experiencing and what is that difficulty again two poems which he wrote between 1910 at least he started one of them is the tale of nala and the other is ahana so ahana he wrote and completed during this period so in ahana there are there is ahana and descent of ahana descent of ahana is a shorter version and ahana is a much longer version so ahana is about again this now mankind is seeking that descent descent of that light which can change us descent of that joy seekers of light hunters of joy they are climbing the slopes and they see the light coming and they want it to come down but ana has to tell them that hold on wait there is something else has to happen that's how they it, she describes the process when will the light come down how will the light come down ana voice of the sensuous mortal heart of eternal longing see why sensuous mortal because that the most common thing that human being they want things within the grasp of the senses joy of god within the grasp of the senses senses bind us even they must be transmuted so ahana the goddess torn she is saying thou who hast lived as in walls thy soul with thy senses wronging 
I, I want to come down. I want to transmute the senses. But you are the one who won't let me come down. You are too busy with the palate and too busy with the, you know, apparent scenes, too busy with, you know, loudness and noises of the world. How will I come down and transmute the senses and give you God joy? But I descend to the fickle and terrible, sweet and deceiving, poison and nectar. One has dispensed to the luring the leaving. She says, you know, this play in which you are caught. <laughs> fickle and terrible, sweet and deceiving. He lures you, then he leaves you. That's how he prepares you. So she describes first that see, it's not that it's your fault, but still, you have been, if you remain in the clutch of these gross senses and their uh, way of life, then you cannot be a candidate for immortality. But at the same time, she says, this is the way that one has built. We two together shall capture the flute and the player relentless. See, that time mother has not come. So there is a representative of man who is seeking. If we have, if Shubhinda had to build his symbol there, that time it would be a triangle which is facing upward and a triangle which is beginning to touch from above, but touching the tip. So we two together, the representative of man and Ahana, the goddess dawn. Son of man, thou hast crowned thy life with flowers that are scentless. Chase the delights that wound. But I come and the darkness shall sunder. That is the experience he is having. She will come. That is the assurance. Lo, I come and behind me knowledge descends and with thunder filling the spaces strength the angel bears on his bosom. Strength is important. Without strength, if the ananda comes down, there will be a breakdown. Truth is important. So knowledge and strength, the left and the right arm of God, the omniscience and the omnipotence, knowledge and will, so they must come together. Then the ananda will descend. So they have not yet come together most materially. Bear, filling the spaces, strength, the angel bears on his bosom, joy to thy arms. Thou shalt look on her face like a child's or a blossom, innocent, free as in Eden of old, not afraid of her playing. Then the joy will Recover, you know, there is that whole canto in Savitri, the glory and the fall of life. When he says there is a state where uh, delight, in fact, he beautifully described, there all work was play and play the only work. <laughs> so there is a state where joy is a way of life, ananda. You don't have to do anything to achieve ananda, it's there, it's there in the atmosphere. But to come here, there is a process. In one of his letters to Dilip Kumar Roy, he says that to bring down the divine ananda and love is indeed the purpose of our yoga, ultimate goal. But we have found that unless truth is established here first, but first high truth must set its feet upon earth, it will not work out. Human consciousness will spill it over. That's what Sri Krishna tried. Sri Krishna tried. Mother says that he came to teach men how to live blissfully and free. Freedom and delight. So what the world gave was Mahabharata. <laughs> Christ was more modest. He wanted to bring only divine love. 
What the world gave, the cross they gave in payment for the crown. <laughs> Look at it. Rama was still modest program, just an illumined mind. What the world gave was separation of Sita and Rama. So always the world, hard is it to persuade earth's nature's change. Mortality bears ill the eternal star. So this time they wanted to ensure that the whole thing is foolproof. Actually, you see, what did Krishna bring? That was the first model was in Vrindavan. That, okay, you can be happy. You don't have to struggle, strive and then do sadhana. No. Just love of God. He released it upon earth. First time we see the love of God in gopis and gop. He released that love upon earth. But man was not ready. Kansa is there. Jarasand is there. Rukmi is there. And Shishupal is there. And the entire Kuru clan, it rises up against him in revolt. Pain was not meant forever. Hearts were not made but for slaying. At one place mother says, My child, you should get rid of this notion that divine wants to spoil your plans and make you unhappy. <laughs> she says, divine does not want that. He wants you to remain happy. And if you really live life the way they have revealed to us, life will be happy. There is no reason to be unhappy. It's our attitudes, the way we understand, look at things that makes us unhappy. But the assurance, Thou shalt not suffer always, nor cry to me, lured and forsaken. Krishna lures you, then forsakes you. I have a snare for his footsteps. I have a chain for him taken. See the sequence? Shubhindra is here, representative of man, carrying the voice. Ahana, the mother is yet to come, the descent of Ahana. And Krishna will come finally. 1926, the entire chain. So she says, when I come, I'll bring the chain to bring him. <laughs> I have a chain for him taken. Come then to Brindavan, soul of the joyous, faster and faster. Follow the dance I shall teach thee with Shama for slave and for master. How does God become a slave? By love. That's what should have been there said. Master of all who work and rule and know, servant of love. So love is the key that she says you have to bring in, that bhakti, that faith. Follow the notes of the flute with a soul aware and exulting. Follow the steps of God. That's what in Savitri that um, God becomes man so that man, human, can follow into his footsteps. Trample delight that submits and crouch to a sweetness insulting what marvelous lines. Thou shalt know what the dance meant. Fathom the song and the singer. Here behind thunder its rhymes. Even when it is thundering, when there is storm, blinding storm, you will still be able to hear behind its rhymes. Touched by lightning, thrill to his finger. What does lightning do? It burns away many things. The tree, your favorite tree, it's suddenly gone. House God. But you will see it as finger of God. He has pointed a finger and finished your support. Brindavan's rustle shall understand and Yamuna's laughter. Take thy place in the Ras and thy share of the ecstasy after. He has seen the entire panorama, the steps and ultimately the Ananda that has to come and manifest upon earth. There is a poem that uh, I had thought of reading, but anyways, we'll skip this and go to the other one. It's light. There are two poems on light. One is the one which he wrote as a 10-year-old, which we have read, and the other is later on. But this 
relevant of course for diwali day what we have already read that he was moving in an ocean of light light endless light darkness is room no more life's ignorant gulfs give up their secrecy the huge inconscient depths unplumbed before like glimmering in vast expectancy you see i compared this with the diyas which we are going to burn today so these lamps so what is uh, interesting about diya of course it's it's an observation there is a very interesting saying in hindi deepak tale andhera it's the fire of aspiration which burns and rises upward it illumines up it illumines around but the inconscient it cannot why because it's the earthly vessel deepak and you have to feed it with the oil of the intellect and with samitha but always it will cast a shadow somewhere if nowhere else then where it is kept so all fires on earth cast a shadow somewhere but which is the fire which doesn't cast a shadow is the one which comes from above the sunlight it doesn't cast a shadow if you stand in the way your shadow it will cast but as such it will pierce if it comes too close it will burn away enter even the darkness below where denizens are sleeping so this is the way that fire operates the fire from above so the aspiration is wonderful it's helps us to grow it is the path given to us but not without the answering grace fixed and unfailing aspiration from below and the supreme grace from above that answers because then only the inconscient depths can be cleared so the huge inconscient depths unplumbed before lie glimmering in vast expectancy light timeless night light immutable and apart thy the holy sealed mysterious doors unclose light burning light from the infinite diamond heart this is a supramental diamond diamond is always describing the super, supramental in infinite quivers in my heart where blooms the deathless rose this is the psychic being in man blooms the deathless rose light in its rapture leaping through the nerves light brooding light each smitten passionate cell in a mute blaze of ecstasy preserves a living sense of the imperishable i move in an ocean of stupendous light joining my depths to his eternal height this is what is happening now in his yoga now imagine why this is interesting to read shubindu's biography this way read the standard biography after 1910 shubindu wrote this yogic sadhan the 1914 the mother came but what was happening during this period is so amazing what was happening inside him what was he doing and what was he experiencing is so different a picture than well he was doing and outside some things were happening some event the british government was after him you will see documents reams after reams of documents that the british government even planned a spy planted a spy who hid some things in the well and it was discovered by accident or it was shown to the ig and the ig came and spoke to him and he said he spoke in french and the ig was so impressed that he speaks such good french well he cannot be a spy all this is okay but what was really happening inside <laughs> what was shubhendra doing he was invoking ahana to descend upon earth that's 1912 
He was experiencing that descent where even the cells were shimmering with ecstasy. So many times I have even heard people debating, did really he achieve the supramental? Was he experiencing uh, the transformation? Look at it. it. This poem speak for themselves. You don't have to see any other document. Cells are feeling that ecstasy, not just the supramental, but the supramental ananda, ultimate. And all this coming out of the body, moving into these worlds. But something is yet to come. Someone came, infinite and absolute. And we'll stop with that poem, we'll read it. That still there is someone for whom he is waiting. Who will complete, who will fulfill the yoga of transformation. It looks like, a, you know, all, okay, mother came to know. There's the outer story. Mother is not going to tell the inner story that for lives we have been together. Passingly she has made those statements. Without him I exist not. Without me is unmanifest. But surely she knew she is a yogini of yoginis. <laughs> where she is going to, whom she is going to meet. So there is the earthly leela where is the human play and the human instruments. And we may take interest in it, but it can sometimes completely confuse us. Like, uh, you know, I'll say why she had to play this leela. What was the story of Ramayana? Where, you know, Sita is lost and Rama is crying. Sita, where are you? Where are you? I am missing you, Sita. Where are you, Janki? Asking every leaf, every stone. Have you seen my Sita? And Sati says, what kind of Parviram Parmeshwar is he? Like ordinary mortal, he is crying. And then Shiva says, don't be deluded by this outer appearance. Shivinda says, the avatar has these two sides, the human and the divine. So human Leela, why the mother has to do these things? She is sending apparently a diagram. Some people say whether she sent or not. But apparently her husband comes, meets him, goes back and then she comes. Well, because in the world she is creating all the steps through which humanity will approach. Because what she, if supposing she knew suddenly from inside, which I am sure she knew. And one day landed up, oh I know, this is our work. What sense it, we will make out of it and we will not know how to follow. So she undergoes. Then she goes away in 1915. This I find so significant. Many of us have come and experienced going away after, you know, now Samadhi, Mother's presence. What is that experience? She must undergo. She must know that what human beings experience when they are separated from the divine, embodied divine. Because she has all the experiences that, you know. But the experience of separation from the embodied divine, that is the experience of Mata Sita. She is an Ashoka Vatika, but she is full of carrying the grief of the world. What is this world where our nature experiences separating from the divine? So if you see her prayer, 21st February, see, 22nd February, she leaves, 1915. See the next prayer. Solitude, harsh solitude. Why am I cast away? So this is the Leela where there is the outer divine, the human self and there is the inner. So now we see Shurabindo is waiting. Waiting for whom after all these experiences? Bride of the fire. You know, bride of the fire in mythology, she is the one who is swaha, without whom no mantra of Agni will be complete when you Swaha we keep. Because bride of the fire is the power of the fire, Agni Shakti. She is the one who will purify the being of Agni without the Agni Shakti. So the Shakti must come, who will purify, who will transmute. Light is there, tremendous light. But where is the power? The power must come. Agni Shakti, Swaha, Bride of the Fire. Clasp me now close. Bride of the Fire. 
I have shed the bloom of the earthly rose. I have slain desire. Otherwise you can't get the Shakti. Otherwise Mother and Shubindu inwardly were, if we look at the whole thing, Mother had seen Shubindu way back even as a child. So somebody who had, even she had experienced going down, that is at, you know, Theon's this thing. So how could she not know? So there is the divine aspect and there is the human Leela. And that's what makes it fascinating. So he is now ready. Desire is slain. At one point somebody asked Shurabindu, what is the condition? First he was very hesitant about Shakti. He says, I am disinclined to speak about it. <laughs> but disciples, no sir, tell us something. What is the condition to have your Shakti? <laughs> Shurabindu says, complete freedom from desire and lust. Surely the disciples must have said, <laughs> you see, another life. <laughs> Complete freedom from desire. You can't have Shakti without that. One who is meant for you. That's why, you know, that uh, in all the plays of the divine we see this. Separation from Shakti. We see it in Ramayana. We see it in Krishnila. Radha is a Shakti. And we see in Shurabindo the separation. But... The eventual union. That's what is wonderful. Because somebody had to fulfill all the conditions. And one condition is, I have said, shed the bloom of the earthly rose. It's perfect blossoming, perfect humanity at a human level, the human perfection that he has shed. I have slain desire. Beauty of the light surround my life. Beauty of the light. I have sacrificed longing and parted from grief. I can bear thy delight. As long as there is longing and there is grief. Can't bear that delight. It's one of the favorite poems. Image of ecstasy. Thrill and enlace. Image of bliss. Anandamai. Chaitanyamai. Satyamai. I would see only thy marvelous face. Feel only thy kiss. Your touch, your kiss upon the soul, upon this body, upon this atom of existence, upon this matter. In one of her prayers, before she has come to Pondicherry, the mother writes, she says that the kiss of benediction upon this struggling atom of existence. What is that kiss? That kiss is where she pours all her ecstasy, her delight into matter to wake it up, awaken it. Voice of infinity, Sound in my heart, call of the one, one is calling. <laughs> Stamp there thy radiance, never to part. O living sun, Savitri, the word, the daughter of the sun. O living sun. We'll close with this poem. Bride of the fire, clasp me now, now close. Bride of the fire, I have shed the bloom of the earthly rose. I have slain desire. Beauty of the light, surround my life. Beauty of the light, I have sacrificed longing and parted from grief. I can bear thy delight. Image of ecstasy, thrill and enlace. Image of bliss, I would see only thy marvelous face. Feel only thy kiss. Voice of infinity, 
sound in my heart call of the one stamp there thy radiance never to part o living sun